Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to the first mid-season, pre-season episode of Revolution Recap, home of the 2020 MLS's back tournament champion, New England Revolution. It has been a long few months, but we finally have soccer to look forward to as the groups were decided this week for the MLS's back tournament. The Revs were selected in Pool C of the tournament and will be facing off against DC United, Toronto FC, and the Montreal Impact in a bonus uh, mid-season Orlando Maple Syrup Derby. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is the founder of the Maple Syrup Derby, Potentially making his Revolution Recap debut, I'm not totally sure, but Julian Cardillo is here with us today. Julian, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me, and I think this is my Revolution Recap debut, um, so again, thank you. Yeah, I can never tell, because Sean had his um, radio show back in Providence back in the day, so I'm never sure when it's a de- debut, but um, it's been a long time coming, and we appreciate you coming on the show. Um, we also have... Uh, hailing from everyone's least favorite New England state, Jake Catanese of the Bent Musket is here. Jake, how are you doing? Now, hold on, wait a minute. We, we this is I'm confused. This is an MLS is back tournament. Yeah, because MLS is back. So we're not we're not going to talk about the University of Connecticut going to the Big East. That's not what this is about. We are 100 percent not talking about UConn in any way, shape, or form. I I think I think I've been hoodwinked. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jake. I know that's usually what I tell you to get you on the show. And I'm surprised you fall for it. You fall for it every time. It's pretty amazing. I, you know what? I do. I really do. That's my fault. Eventually, we're going to have to have an entire like Ryder Bryant basketball podcast. Yes, we still need to get our, our mid-major uh, college basketball tour- uh, podcast going. Hopefully next year, I suppose. I'm sure we'll get 10 listeners on it. But uh, getting back, the MLS is back tournament. The groups have been drawn. The Revolution have been mixed with those three teams that I just mentioned. Drawn into Group C. Just very quick, immediate reactions. Julian, what do you think about the draw, and how do you feel about the Revolution's chances? Um, honestly, I think it's a pretty interesting draw. You have two rivalry, well, a rivalry there being that uh, it's Toronto and Montreal. So I think that's kind of the matchup everyone's looking forward to. Um, but I see this as pretty doable for New England. Um, I mean, granted, we're only two, two match days in, strictly speaking. But uh, they didn't look bad really in either game they looked very competitive they probably should have won both of them um you know before the big pause and i think if you're bruce arena you got to feel pretty good with uh with who you're lumped in with um i had some people telling me on twitter they thought this was a group of death i in no feel no way feel that way i think these are going to be cool games definitely probably very competitive but you know not neither of these teams uh really scare me or should scare new england you know, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a group of death. I, I really think, you know, may, I, maybe, there's a big maybe, maybe the only group of death might be the, the LALA group, which I think is group F. Um, group group B could also be a little interesting because I think the Western Conference is just a little bit deeper and it's more condensed because they've only got uh, three groups of four, whereas uh, the Eastern Conference has that one weird group because they moved um, Nashville into the East, um, which is fine, doesn't bother me. I'm actually more interested in, in, in seeing the, the knockout, um, you know, group, like obviously, you know, the top two people and a bunch of third place teams are going to make it into the, the knockout stages. I'm more interested in seeing the, bra- the bracket that comes out of this. I think that would be a, a much more interesting talking point to see how that 
uh, format, and that gets gets played out from the results um, early on. I certainly see no reason why New England shouldn't advance into that. Like Julian said, I don't think any of these teams necessarily scare me. Toronto, when they're when they're rolling, however, um, could be a problem. Uh, that would probably be the one team that I would think to myself. You know, I want to I want to really gauge how New England's doing out of this this long, you know, uh, extended preseason, as we'll call it, due to the coronavirus. I, I think that that benchmark game will really be against uh, Toronto. Um, that might be a good a good judge of where where both teams might be um, as far as the group stage goes. Yeah, and just to kind of reiterate what you guys are, have said, I think every game, not just with the Revolution, but every single game in Group C is going to be competitive. Um, mm-hmm. All these matchups are, are pretty evenly matched. I guess Toronto is the strongest on paper, um, but I, I don't have any doubts that the Revolution will put up a fight in each of these. A lot will come down to conditioning and to strategy, because obviously this is kind of uncharted territory. But um, I think if you're the Revolution, you know you you don't have uh, NYCFC, you don't have Atlanta, and you're not in that weird um, six-team Group A, which you know we we can kind of complain about the format all you want, but you know just based on math, you know you have a much better chance. Uh, finishing in the top two or the top three and advances a three seed coming out of a four-team group than being in that six-team group. I, I think those teams um, really kind of got screwed, um, and they, they, their odds mathematically are, are a lot lower from being in an expanded group. On that note, though, Jake, you kind of touched on it, so I'll, I'll ask Julian here in a second, but um, what's your opinion about the tournament format? Um, I think personally that the MLS did a pretty good job of throwing this together, having the group stage contribute to the regular season. So if you end up having a regular season later on, you're kind, you've kind of progressed a little bit into that. Julian, do you have any uh, positive or negative things to say about this tournament format? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, everyone's just happy to have competitive soccer back um, in this country taking place. Um, you know, obviously the NWSL is doing its tournament in Utah and you know, MLS has this format. So, you know, and to, to some degree, I think any tournament at all is positive. And I think it'll be exciting. You know, I, I've, I've seen people liken this format to a World Cup. I'll tell you that uh, a few weeks ago, I was feeling super nostalgic. So I went to my attic, I got my PlayStation 3, and I started playing the old qualifiers for the World Cup. And so I, I get it. I definitely get that mindset. And then you have Bruce Arena saying, this is not the World Cup, like, like, don't get it twisted. Um, so I, I do think it's exciting. My only kind of reservation about this whole thing is that there's going to be a handful of weekday games to kick off at like 8 or 9 a.m. And I don't like that at all. Um, I, I don't think that works very well. But, you know, it sounds like they're doing what they can for the most part to make sure this flows, make sure that the games are accessible, you know, outside those few 8 or 9 a.m. games. Yeah, and one other thing, too, that I want to bring up about this kind of weird format, and as I say, my, my only beef is with the Group A, and I think that if the Revolution were pulled in, into Group A, I'd have a lot more to say about it. But I, I think, too, that if there is issues, if there are health problems beyond this kind of mini tournament, um, I, I think that if the MLS has to cancel their season in September, October, which there are a lot of fears about, um, we have some sort of closure in crowning a champion in this kind of you know Mickey Mouse MLS is back tournament. So uh, I think overall MLS gets positive marks in throwing this together and kind of adding a World Cup, Cup format, which um, I think casual soccer fans uh, really like. And I think we will get a lot of kind of casual sports fans tuning in um, with the odd, you know, 8 and 10 p.m. and, and 9 a.m. start times aside. I think they did really well overall. 
Jake, we'll, we're going to go around and do some predictions. So I'll start with you. Um, give us a prediction on what do you what you think the Revolution will do in terms of the group stage and, and in this tournament overall. Um, you know, I I, I think. Getting out of the group, I, th- I think being one of the automatic qualifiers, I think finishing second is not unreasonable. Um, I think this is a team that's had some decent success against both uh, Montreal and DC in in recent years, and this is not the same DC team with Rain with uh, Wayne Rooney storming around that it has been the last couple of years. You know, I I'd like to see them, you know, take this seriously and make a run, given that they they do have a few moving pieces, and the group stage games are significantly important. For the standings, you know, D.C. is ahead of them. Montreal is ahead of them. Toronto is ahead of them. So, you know, this is something where, you know, you know, we've said it before. You know, New England is not known for being a team that starts off fast. You know, this is, you know, the the preamble of the summer swoon. It's summer now. We, we can't be swooning. We need to actually use this, um, you know, to, to, you know, re-jumpstart the season. Um, it's, and it's a, it's a tough ask. It really is. Um, but I don't think it's, it's un, I don't think it's an impossible task. So do you have a predict? Do you think they'll advance from the group stage? I'm putting you on the spot here, Jake. I think I think if I think a nice a nice second place finish, like a, you know, obviously they're, they're probably going to be like a tie or something. Where like you know, finishing the automatic qualifiers, finishing the top two, and then I'd like to see them win at least one knockout stage game. Not like penalty. No, I want to see them win a knockout stage game. Not penalties. Like actually go out in a tournament style and and go and and take a match to someone because it's something that New England is not overly known for the last few years. They haven't had a lot of of knockout um, success. Obviously there's the one open cup final run a few years back. Um, but aside from that, it's been, it's been a little lackluster since the 2014 cup final run. And Julian, what do you think? You think the revolution advanced from the group stage? Yeah. I mean, they're a playoff team, right? They're a reigning playoff team. I will say, I think it's going to be, I, I, I can't imagine them losing to Montreal twice. I mean, I know it's kind of different, uh, that first week of the season versus now, but you know the rosters are basically the same, and they get Carlos Heel back. Um, I'm kind of with Jake. I could see them finishing in second place, and I think that has to be the goal to at least get out of the group. And then I, you know, in a, in a format like this where you get five substitutions plus, you know, the knockout games are relatively close together. I mean, I could very easily see them making a run uh, as well. And one thing, too, that I, I feel is kind of the ace in the hole for the Revolution is Bruce Arena has been to a World Cup before. He's kind of managed, you know, this style of a tournament. Um, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of unpredictability in terms of conditioning, how well these players are, are fit. You know, there's no real preseason before this. They really have two to four weeks to train um, before their actual games again. So I, I believe that having an experienced coach like Bruce Arena will pay dividends. Um, do you guys buy into that theory at all that the revolution will, um, you know, are better off having a guy with Bruce Arena than maybe Montreal has with Terry Henry? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's in a sense, it's anybody's game. Um, I think you can make the World Cup argument, even though it doesn't sound like Bruce Arena is making that argument, um, you know, on his own behalf. Um, I will say that conditioning is going to be huge, and I'm sure we're going to get into it later, but, you know, some of the numbers in the middle of the field um, with the Caicedo injury aren't really in New England's favor right now. And I think that they're really going to have to spend some time uh, next week and the week after figuring out who it's going to be that's, that's going to carry the load in central midfield. Um, and I think that's going to be particularly critical because New England's actually never, ever won a competitive game in Orlando in all competitions. And I think you can really attribute that to the heat. I mean, I've seen a lot of blown leads in Orlando, 
and they've pretty much all been in really sweltering condition. And I'm kind of expecting it to be a similar situation uh, weather-wise this time around as well. Yeah, and you mentioned too, um, you know, the central midfield, and we did get some news about Luis Caicedo uh, this week that he will miss the rest of the season. He had surgery on his meniscus in his right knee, um, so he he has been placed on the season-ending list. Um, Luis did not appear in either game at the start of the season and was not in the 18, so this isn't a huge, huge surprise, but I think people were expecting him back. Um, he also was in and out of preseason. Uh, he, was, he was dealing with an injury, um, and, and it should be noted that he had surgery on March 11th, which was, I believe, the day before the MLS season was called off, and it was days after that last Chicago game. Uh, so it, it it doesn't sound like the pandemic really had a lot of effect. I know that in baseball there were a lot of pitchers that had Tommy John surgery when it didn't look like there was a, a season, and they kind of got a jump start uh, to to their surgeries. Um, whereas you know this seems like something that um, was an immediate need for Luis Caicedo. Jake, uh, I'll, I'll move it to you. Um, how big of an impact uh, is Luis Caicedo, and who do you think will fill in for him? Um, I mean, you know, New England's always had a, a, a wide host of, of midfield options, but but now you're you're really limiting the number of holding midfield options. You've really only got uh, Wilfred Zahibo and Scotty Caldwell as true holding midfielders. Um, we've seen Diego play there. We've seen uh, Kellen Rowe play there. Um, I think we at one point last year saw Juan Aguidelo play there. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. And, and it's sort of I think these three games, while they're important because they, they are for the regular season standings, these three games are also important for them because they have to they have to sort some things out. Um, and this this might be, like I said, one of the re- one of the reasons why I think this is this is a tough ask, but not an impossible a- a task for New England to, to to like finish second in the group, win the group, you know, win a knockout stage game. Um, you're going to have to mess around with that midfield a little bit. You're going to have to find some kind of a balance. Um, I am personally not a fan of the idea of Gustavo Bo playing like a number ten. And Carlos Gill playing a winger. I want Carlos Gill in the middle of the field as often as possible. I don't want him cutting in all the time, uh, despite the fact that it might tactically work or make sense. Um, you know, if you're going to have two strikers, I want Carlos Gill behind them. Um, I, um, I and I, then you have to sort of build the rest of the formation behind that. Are you going to have two, you know, more central like shuttling midfielders, and then just maybe one. Wilfred Zahibo behind them instead of Luis Caicedo as a diamond midfield. Um, there's there's a lot of interesting uh, tinkers that can happen. I'm sure we'll see a lot of them. As, as Julie mentioned, I love the five substitution idea. I actually hope that becomes a permanent uh, thing going forward or an expanded substitutions bench after um, the virus goes in because we're, we're just – soccer's been ridiculously behind in, in certain – things like that and and teams are bigger and youth development is so much bigger um so that having the opportunity to to play more people regardless of the current you know health situations right now is is going to be uh an important thing i think going forward and i hope i hope that aspect becomes a permanent um issue beyond this year but we'll have to see um what fifa and the ifab do about that but yeah there's there's a lot of interesting things um bruce arena's going to have to juggle and it's not just the formation it's not just the subs bench um i i think he he needs to balance how you know he needs to take this this tournament seriously and in particular the group stage because of the importance for the regular season so um you know they've 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 really got to you know buckle down these next couple weeks it's going to be interesting because i don't know how much we're going to see of training and the games and things like that it's it's going to be a much more different learning experience because it is it is really preseason. it's just we're we're just counting the games 
Yeah, absolutely. And the the I, I think too the we actually got a question about the squad rotation. Joe on Twitter asked us um, what are our expectations for squad rotation uh, with quick turnaround and five subs. And you know Julian mentioned the Heat in Orlando and how it's it's you know you you have to manage you know conditioning too. As I say, these guys are coming in with two to four weeks of real preseason. Um, we're going to be starting this this tournament less than a month from now, and they they just got back to team training, so it, it probably won't be the best soccer we're ever going to see. And it's going to be in the Orlando heat, which is a tough tough ask for for you know us New Englanders. Um, so, um, but but getting back to your point, Jake, um, I I think one person that might fill Luis Caicedo's role is Isaac Anking. Um, maybe not ninety minutes each game. Maybe he won't be a starter. Um, I I personally think that we're going to see Diego Fagundes, who started uh, who was paired with with Wilfred Zahibo in the first two games. I, I'm sure he'll be the one eating up the most of those minutes. But uh, I think there are going to be guys like Justin Rennix, Tayon Buchanan, and Isaac Ankings who are, you know, looking to kind of make that next step uh, and our, our prospects. I, I think this is a really important tournament for them to, um, you know, get some minutes, show what they can do, and maybe that'll springboard them to a bigger role, a bigger role um, outside of the tournament. Uh, and I, I want to highlight Isaac Anking too, just because, um, you know, there is that gap in midfield. It's been a couple of years since we saw him, since his debut at NYCFC. Uh, and I, and I, I'm a big fan of him. I think he, he could do some great things. So uh, I'd like to see him, make some 20 to 30 minute appearances uh, in the group stage and, and see what he can do. Julian, what are your thoughts on the Luis Caicedo injury? Uh, and who do you think will fill in for him uh, alongside Wilfred Zahibo? Yeah, I mean, it, I do think it's a big hit and was someone who was kind of one of the few bright spots during the Brad Friedel era and really um, carried it into the Bruce Serena era. Just did a lot of dirty work. You know, pretty creative in, in tight spots, working with uh, Zahibo and Carlos Heel. So that is a big loss. Um, in terms of who's going to cover for him for the time being, I mean, I think that, again, they have to kind of work that out in the next few weeks and play to the structure of the tournament. But um, my sense is that uh, Bruce Arena is willing to give Fagundes extended minutes in central midfield. That's kind of where he played in those first two games. I think if you want to play safe and play conservative, maybe you give Caldwell a run out um, because he knows the position. He's, he's played it well, and he's kind of a what you see is what you get player. You know, he's going to just make the easy pass. And sometimes, you know, that's kind of what they need just to settle games down. Um, but my vote right now is for Fagundes. I think that's the uh, odds-on favorite, uh, not just because he started the, those first two games, but um, it seems like Bruce Arena has a lot of trust in him and, and feels he can handle that position. So um, we do have a couple of questions on the back of the Luis Caicedo injury. Randy LH asks us, any rampant speculation about what Arena might do to fill our significant gap at central defensive midfield? Um, and at Dendun29 also asked us, will the Revs add another midfielder this year? A lot of people aren't really trusting the um, you know central midfield by rotation Fagundes, Rowe, Anking, you know, Caldwell, um, Cluster, uh, and a lot of people are speculating that maybe the revolution go out and add an extra midfielder. Julian, I'll, I'll ask you, because I listened to a little bit of your Twitter live and you kind of talked about this yesterday, but do you think Arena will fill that central midfield gap uh, eventually as a result of Luis Caicedo uh, leaving, or, or will he stay in-house? I mean, I think he has to at least look at it, right? Um, I don't think that the calendars will align for them to kind of add a player in the middle of this tournament but you know down the line once things settle down once um you know wafa uh, transitions it's 
current competitive calendar to next year's, I think that there are some chances for that to happen. There have been no credible links, you know, or even uh, non-credible links uh, between, you know, foreign players coming to New England. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean that the, that the speculation mill is just not churning at all. Um, I think what's going to happen, just given the circumstances of this disease and what it's done to halt competitive soccer and player movement, is that, you know, you could have players abroad who are, you know, maybe more willing to give MLS a chance because it means continuing to play um, versus, you know, having to kind of wait for things to settle down in Europe or elsewhere. Um, so that might be kind of an advantage for teams in, in MLS, including the revolution. Um, you know, there have been a few European players that have already been kind of mentioned as, as being targets for MLS teams. You know, you have uh, Pastore with Roma and you have Fabian Johnson getting linked to a few MLS clubs. So um, I will say that getting back to the Casado thing, it's going to be a position that Bruce Arena at least has to look at, you know, especially if in this tournament, Diego Fagundes isn't working out. Yeah, I mean, it's it for me, it's always been like the one position where I've been advocating, I want to say for, for several years, of <clears throat> you really need a true destroyer number six type. And <clears throat> we haven't had one of those since Jermaine Jones was around in that. That really was the big final piece to the puzzle, and it made a lot of things just work better. <clears throat> And, you know, Zahibo has been solid. Casado has been solid. But to me, they're they are sometimes very similar players. Um, Casado is probably a little bit better on the offense over the passing game. Zahibo is a little bit more of the enforcer type. But but they're, they're just very nice box-to-box players. And what you really need is just that big ball-winning midfielder, hits those big diagonals, starts the counterattack. And those players are, are not not easy to find. Um, and, and the revs are already kind of sort of maxed out on a lot of things on the roster. They've already got three DPs. Um, they've already got a ha- handful of TAM players. I don't know what the international roster situation looks like now that Caicedo is on the injured list for the year. Um, that spot might be opened up if new England wanted to sign someone. Um, I don't mean to cut you off, Jake. I'm pretty confident that does not open up a roster spot. I would have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure. That yeah, I'm tr- I was trying to find it right now, and the roster the roster page that I normally go to isn't populating for me for the Revs as far as how many how many international spots they have. So yeah, so if it, if that spot doesn't open up, well, that makes things a lot harder because I don't think they have an available international spot. I mean, they could always go out and get one. Yeah. Um, so from another team, but again, I don't want to I don't want to cut you off here again, but Samba two. Uh, that transfer was canceled. He would have had to have taken up an international spot. So we're not totally sure what the um, roster looks like, but the revolution in theory, we're going to gain an international spot somehow, whether or not they are going to trade for one or one of their current international players got a green card. I know some people were speculating on Twitter about Mancien. Um, yep. And I know De La May has been here a few years. I have no real credible um, information on that, but in, in I don't. I think the international thing can be worked out either way. But you are you are absolutely correct. As of right now, to our knowledge, all the international spots are have um, have been locked. And as Julian says, there's going to be a lot of issues with the transfer market this summer. So I'm not totally sure. It, it is an, an area that I do think they need to address. But they are very limited. It seems like in terms of international roster spots, uh, in terms of TAM, uh, and, and it's not totally clear if they can go out and get that major impact player that the Revolution would like to have. 
<clears throat> right, and, and you know what? For for the first time in, in a while, we can actually say, like, not only are they almost full of international roster spots and TAM and DPs and all those other things, they might be very, very close to full-on roster spots in general. Um, because I remember a handful of years ago, um, I can't remember if it was Friel's first year or Heaps' last year, they started the year with 23 active players on the roster, and I knew that I had, like, multiple conniptions and aneurysms when that happened because I'm like, that's an Olympic-style That's an Olympic style roster. That's a roster that's designed to play for a month, not seven months. Um, <clears throat> so now, you know, the fact that they have, you know, a full roster and a full staff and guys and, you know, and Revs too and everything else, you know, we should give credit to the fact that, okay, yes, while the Revolution do have this one problem at this position because of a, a major injury, um, other things have been developed that, that help mitigate that a lot better than in years past. In years past, it probably would have been Kellen Rowe or Diego dropping back from that attacking midfield spot to that holding midfield spot or balancing out the formation um, that way. Well, you know, now, even though that's probably still the answer, there's a, there's still more options around them. There is Isaac Anking who can who can drop in. Um, I wouldn't be I would love to see just for hilarity. I'd love to see Juan Jones just in the middle of the field, just sprinting forward 90 miles an hour um, just just for fun. You know, maybe even something weirder. Put Andrew Farrell there. Like, tr- like I have no problem with trying things, um, particularly this year. Like, of all the years to try and go out and do something weird, um, this is the year to do it because n- everything is broken. So you might as well continue to break things and just see if it works because there's no wrong answers, I don't think, this year. Um, obviously, you want results. Obviously, you want to, de- like, you know, develop as many players as you can. You know, but, you, you know, that's also balanced along the, fa- the fact that we didn't play soccer the last three months and it kind of sort of ruined everything. I, I do like the, the thought process of there's no wrong answers this year. And one guy we haven't talked about is Nicholas Firmino, um, you know, and I know uh, Damian Rivera. Uh, I don't know if they're necessarily defensive midfielders, but there are also some young guys who have played, you know, in the center of the field that might be able to contribute in some way. But um, one more thing before we move on, I just want to point out that the Revolution have at least one senior roster spot open. Um, so they do have a pretty full okay. roster, but there is some some wiggle room again. Uh, so it is it is possible, but it, it, we're not totally sure how feasible it is. Point being, they are a little limited on space uh, in terms of going out and getting another big signing. And then one more thing I wanted to point out, too, um, is that there was a few weeks ago, Petrus Bumal uh, popped up on Twitter. Uh, and and I, I don't know if you call that a credible rumor, Julian, or a non-credible rumor. It's probably a little more in the non-credible uh, rumor section. But um, he has been linked to Fulham recently and has talked a lot about going to England. So it sounds like um, the link to the revolution has kind of cooled down for him and he's kind of moved on to potentially going to the championship in England. So I do want to get to some listener questions, some of which we have touched on a little bit. Uh, we touched on Joe's question about squad rotation. Uh, we also talked, any Revs UK had a question about who would fill alongside um, Wilfred Zahibo. Uh, and if we, we see them playing with maybe a formation change, I know Jake, you talked about that. Um, but there are some other questions regarding uh, the MLS's back tournament. Uh, and the first one is Paulo. We, we, we kind of touched on this one, but I'll, I'll go around and make this a formal question. He asks, what is the biggest threat in the group and why? Um, my personal opinion is it's Toronto. I think they're the, the best team on paper. But uh, Jake, I'm curious on who you think out of those three teams, DC United, Montreal and Toronto, who do you think is, is the best team and the biggest challenge for New England? I think it's definitely Toronto because I, I think Toronto has the most talented roster and I think if that roster is clicking, um, you know, if Josie's working well, if Bradley is 
you know, being Bradley and not being like mediocre and things like that's that's the team that I think would would scare me the most as if I were New England, um, because I think from a matchup standpoint, um, they I think they sort of play a similar style. And, and I've never liked going up against like what I call the mirror matchup of the same like four, two, three, one four type formation, um, because I feel like New England sword always have kind of struggled with it at times, um, particularly against a you know, many years ago against Columbus, I was always like, God, Higuain's going to kill us. Higuain's going to kill us. And then he did kill us, but we also murdered like everyone else on the back line and it didn't matter in that playoff series. So I, I think Toronto is the one team, you know, they, they've got, you know, Alejandro, I think, Pozzello, Pablo Piatti, and we've got a new crop of, of DPs and international signings that that, that team bothers me. If it's if it's clicking all together, I, I'm not sold on DC United. Um, I think DC United's lost a lot of talent and a lot of firepower. Um, and Montreal is I th- I think it's hard to judge Montreal after just two games. I know I know they they beat New England, but I, I wasn't necessarily convinced that 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 Montreal like they beat us on the scoreboard. But I think like New England for the most part outplayed them in that game. So you, you know I'm I'm not so much worried about competing against. Montreal obviously you want to get the result um it right now Toronto would be the, the unknown of this team might be better than us how do we get a result from them and that's that's the only team I would say that in the group Julian who do you think is the uh, biggest threat to the refs uh I'm gonna say Toronto as well I just think that they they have more experience in these kind of tournament formats I mean you just look at them um in terms of the MLS Cup playoffs and Champions League and um, the Canadian Championship, you know, they know how to get out of groups and move on, you know, and that's to their credit. And I think they've got a nice balance of um, newcomers and veteran experience. Um, I do think that some of their newcomers could be sort of wild cards, but, you know, they made it through the first two games of the season with a win and a tie. So, you know, more power to them. I agree with Jake that DC United is probably much different, you know, obviously much different without Wayne Rooney, but. Um, I think that there's still a lot for that team to sort of figure out on the field. And Montreal, I will say, I, I think is very balanced, um, balanced in a way similar to New England, really. Um, but, you know, if you really kind of say that New England and Montreal are on the same keel, assuming that Toronto is the real deal, I, I, I would say that Toronto is the main threat. Revolution Report asks on Twitter, uh, will Henry Kessler keep his starting center back spot um, there's a lot of rotation there. You got to assume that Andrew Farrell is going to hold down one of those starting spots. We might see some rotation, but Henry Kessler did impress in those first two games. Uh, Julian, do you expect Henry Kessler to, uh, I'll change the question to eat up the majority of minutes uh, at center back during this tournament. Uh, do you think he's, uh, filling that second center back spot there? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, obviously it's good to have De La Mea and Mancien back as well. Um, but you know, what's he done to lose the spot, right? I mean, barring a catastrophic second preseason, um, I, I think it's his to lose. Jake, any thoughts on Henry Kessler uh, keeping that start, starting spot? No, I mean, I, I, I think Kessler, obviously, it, it'd be nice to see him get, get the bulk of the minutes there, if only because uh, I think he just he needs them more. Um, being being a younger player, I think that also opens up the possibility of moving a Farrell or a Mancien into that holding midfield spot, as awkward as it might seem. Um, you know, but you've got 
you know, you, you're going to be playing a lot of games in a short amount of time and you've got extra subs. So, um, you know, doing weird things and experimenting with ways to, to close out games, um, I, I'm all for. Um, but I, I would want to keep Kessler at that center back role for as much of that as possible and try and leave him specifically alone and just let him, you know, learn the system, learn his, learn his teammates around him. Um, you know, work with Turner and Cole and things like that, and just just continue to grow and you know be be the you know the top draft pick that we we all hope and and after two games uh, seems to very much be um, the the prospect that we think he is. Revolution Report also asked us what our predicted eleven slash preferred eleven is for this tournament, which um, I, I think you guys will agree is really difficult exercise because we won't know who is in form, uh, we won't know conditioning. Um, so it's it's and and the other thing too with the five subs is I feel like. You could, in theory, put out a, a team and start out very defensively, and then throw on, you know, an attacking player later on. Um, you know, you could really change a lot of things around and end up with the best team on the field at the end of the game as opposed to the start of the game. So, um, I, I'm I'm gonna kind of sidestep that question and kind of change it to, who do you think is kind of the wild card, and who do you expect to see a lot of minutes from? So, uh, you know, I've, we've talked about Isaac Anking, but um, Julian, I'll start with you. Is there any kind of big contributors that you could see hopping into the starting 11 that we didn't see in those first two games against Montreal and Chicago? Yeah, I'm going to say Justin Rennix. Um, player with tremendous upside, you know, had the U23 World Cup experience last year, has pretty much been limited to the bench. Uh, actually, I think he's exclusively been limited to the bench um, his entire time as a pro with New England. Um, and it just seems like, I'm not saying that he should have been starting, but it seems like he's been teetering between being a bench player and being a starting player for a long time. And I could very easily see in a tournament where you can have five substitutions and kind of change the shape of your team on the field, um, you know, at least once in a game um, or twice in a game to have someone like Renix come in. In a similar fashion, I'm going to say... Um, our, our draft picks from, from a couple of years ago in, in Tejon Buchanan and Dewan Jones, because as Julie mentioned, this is, and, and you mentioned Greg as well, this is absolutely the kind of format with the extra subs where you can start the first half with a particular formation and then the second half have a completely different one. And you still have significant options down the road. Um, off the bench. Um, I want to see New England playing with two outright strikers, which means that one of those strikers, if it's not going to be Bo or Busca for the entire time, that means you're going to see uh, someone like Rennick, someone like Buchanan, heck, even someone like Jones, I'd have no problem with being being up there. Um, Teal Bunbury as well. I, I want to see two striker formations. I, I don't want to see New England always in a 4-2-3-1. I want to see them do something different. Um, particularly now that Sato is out and that might not be an ideal situation for the team, um, defensively. Um, so in lieu of having, you know, a couple of guys in front of the back line, um, you know, let's, let's, let's go with the theory that a good, a good defense is a better offense. And that's something that I don't think new England has, has been able to do a lot the last, uh, four or five years. Um, now you've got the firepower in the final third in spades. I'd, I'd like to see Bruce arena unleash as much of it as possible. And as often as possible um, in these three group stage games. Yeah. And, and in my personal opinion, I think the only person that you can expect to see 90 minutes in three in all three group stage games is Matt Turner. Um, I, I think we are, we could see a lot of rotation. We could see a lot of youth in this tournament um, because I, I think Bruce arena might see this as an, a, a, a chance to get um, Justin Rennick's, 
you know, more minutes than he normally would get. I know Justin Reddick was coming off the bench. Um, Tayon Buchanan, you also mentioned, got some minutes. But um, I would not be shocked to see Damian Rivera make an appearance. Uh, one big rule change, too, that I, I should have brought up earlier is that all 23, you, you can have 23 uh, uh, man rosters coming into this game. It's not limited to 18. Um, so you can have some prospects kind of on the end of your bench that if you are winning two or three nothing, um, you, you know, you can put in Justin Rennicks for um, Adam Buxa or, you know, I don't know. You, the options are endless. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of things that you can do, and it'll be very interesting how Bruce Arena manages it. But I do expect to see um, a lot of youth in this tournament. And and you're also, you know, like I said earlier, with, with the, the depth of the Revolution roster, you're too deep at every defensive backline position if you count Farrell as, as a center back. You've got four center backs. You've got, in theory, two right backs if we count By and Jones. And you've got... Sinovic and Butler, like you're too deep at every position. There's a lot of utility that you can do in moving those fullbacks forward um, and playing them more as wingers. And you can absolutely do that with Sinovic and by and Jones or moving Farrell out wide. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways, Greg, like you said, that you can end the game with a very different formation. Um, I want to see New England do that. I don't care if it's closing out the game. You've got five defensive, you know, five defensive people in a row. Um, you know, how, however you want to do it, I, I want to see significant tactical changes not just five like for like subs to get players um you know fresh legs out onto the field i I don't want to see that in this tournament from the revs and and really from anyone because i I don't think that's that that helps anyone in this in this kind of format when you're playing all these games back to back just using it as conditioning i i don't think helps anyone and it's good that this is happening in a year where the revs do have 28 guys on their roster and not 21 uh, in years past when they've had the roster flexibility mindset. Oh, so <laughs> um, getting to the lighter things, uh, the lighter side of things, I should say, um, Jay Alexander Dolan uh, of the Bent Musket, the photographer of the Bent Musket asks us, uh, what should the MLS tournament trophy look like? Uh, and he suggested doing kind of like a WWE kind of replica belt, but he wants to do the spinner belt, which I don't know if you guys are wrestling fans at all, but John Cena in the mid 2000s, uh, had a spinner belt where they would spin the logo, um, and it was quite childish. Uh, so I'm all for that idea. Um, Jake, uh, you're you're kind of laughing. Do you have any uh, any thoughts on what this MLS is back tournament trophy should look so, like? So the only the only thing I don't know how many of our listeners have seen this, but every now and again when I when I go and read the news and I see one of those big COVID nineteen articles, it'll have like a super zoomed in graphic of like the the shape of the virus, which looks like a ball with a whole bunch of little like pinhead things sticking out of it. Um, if we're going to go with the WWE style belt, that's the thing that I want spinning in the middle, the, the little like 2D icon of the actual virus. Or you have to call it the COVID cup and the, the ball at the top of the MLS of, of like the, the trophy. Um, instead of it, like, you know, the football on top of the Lombardi trophy, it's the little COVID-19 virus ball. I kind of like that. And and while you were talking, <laughs> while you were talking, I was kind of picturing like you remember the crystal ball they used to have for uh, college football. Yes. Kind of do a crystal COVID nineteen. Crystal COVID nineteen. Yeah. Like gem. I, I love. I that. Am, I, I am. I am all for. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. We did get. We did get one more question that is a little above our pay grade. Hans asks us, um, "What do you think they will do for the rest of the season post uh, COVID nineteen tournament?" Um, he kind of has the idea of saying the East might play only the Eastern Conference games. The West only plays the West. 
Um, Bruce Arena stated in an er interview earlier this week uh, that he expects 20 to 25 games overall, which would include three games in this um, uh, tournament. And I believe, I I don't know if it counts the two games at the beginning of the season. I'm not sure how they're handling that. But um, Julian, uh, do you have any any thoughts about how they might handle this? I know it's kind of all up in the air, but um, any any thoughts on what we might expect post-COVID tournament? Yeah, I mean, I... I can't see anyone really feeling super comfortable prognosticating any of this. Um, you know, just given that um, the economy is only slowly starting to open up and um, people are talking about a second wave. So I, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. I will say, though, that right now they have only accounted for one Champions League spot to be allocated, um, assuming that MLS does not come back. Um, so it's everybody. It's in pretty much everybody's best interest, assuming there is a Champions League next year, um, and assuming they're going to use this season to structure the allocation order um, and the draft order for next season to kind of get the competitive schedule going again. And that's to say nothing of the TV revenue, the merchandising revenue, and the ticket revenue. But I don't know. Who knows? Who really knows? You know, if you like anything right now. Like, think about how much you like it and then put it in a safe and then forget about it because Corona might take it. It, it has ruined everything. It's ruined everything. Vaca- vacations, everything. I also think, too, we're not going to see fans at all. Um, I know some people have kind of said that maybe we will see fans in stadiums at one point. I, I don't think so at all. So I would not be shocked if they do more neutral location games or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, the, the one thing I, I will say is that I think they, as more sports start to come back, if they do continue games, don't be shocked to see weekday games or games at you know 1 p.m. or during the day to not compete with other games. Because I, I think one thing that MLS does want to do is um, kind of put the spotlight on themselves and bring in some more casual fans. I think this is a really good opportunity for them. So, um, Jake's any any thought about what you might want to see post COVID nineteen tournament? No, I mean obviously you know like going to a game this year would be great. Uh, it, it, it's not something that's very high on my, my priority list at the moment. Um, I have a very large TV in my new condo. I'm, I'm fully expecting to get a whole bunch of mileage out of it in the next couple months. Not that I haven't been paying for that extra sports package from uh, Optimum and all that nonsense the past uh, four months. But yeah, I, I, I think um, you know player safety and fan safety is going to be very important. Um, Florida right now needs – Florida, you need to get your shit together. Um, right now, because you're you're not doing a very good job. Utah. We don't have too. an explicit tag, Jake. Take you got to watch your language there. This saying, is a family show. I'm just saying. Listen, we're we're hosting all these tournaments in you know the NBA wants to come back in Vegas and uh, soccer wants to come back in Florida and Utah and you know it. it you can't be if, if if this is going to work. What we've been doing the last three months uh, in the soft reopening things like that, we still have to maintain what we've been doing with this with this virus. And I know I'm I'm going into work mode right now and first responder and all that nonsense. Be safe, everyone. It, you know, concerts and sporting events and things right now. Um, we can watch them at home. Uh, we should continue to watch them at home until it is um, abundantly clear that it is safe for eighty thousand people to get together and um, you know do dumb things. And right now we, do, we don't we don't need to be doing that as much as we want to. So, yeah, I'm just I'm just hoping that, that we, you know, we learn from this. We stay safe in the, in the short term and 
you know, this is a weird season, no matter what, no matter what happens after this, you know, you're always going to view any 2020 professional season that either started or ended as, as just weird. The standings are going to look weird. The fixture list is going to look weird. You know, you're going to look back at the history and be like, oh yeah, I remember that. That was the virus year. That was one. That was, that was weird. Um, but God forbid, um, God forbid the uh, New England Revolution are the only team in MLS history to win a Superliga and the COVID Cup because if you thought I was insufferable about the Superliga trophy, you do not want me to be uh, rambling on about that um, proverbial uh, crystal ball we just invented. Yeah, and uh, it also kind of brings the question of, you know, if they, the rest of the season is canceled, you know, is this a real trophy? I, I think the Superliga is a good um kind of comparison where it kind of feels like a I don't want to say second secondary trophy but um, I don't I don't think it will have as much weight as the normal MLS Cup uh, or even the US Open Cup um, if if uh, the revolution end up uh, winning at the end of this but um, that does it for our, our listener questions uh, we did have one other interesting bit of tidbit uh, that I wanted to pass along for our listeners that are on Twitter uh, it came out uh, this week Brad Friedel did an interview about his time with the revolution and mentioned that uh, or he claimed uh, that his requests to trade certain players were denied um I, I don't know if either of you have a reaction to this if this changes your opinion on free or burns but uh I, I thought it was worth pointing out either of you uh, have any reaction to this apparent uh, you know trade trade requests denied by Friedel? yeah i can't believe it took two years for brad Friedel to figure out that it was mike burns's fault <laughs> <laughs> um it it just i i just think it reinforces that the 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 current revolution setup that was exposed after one year of Brad Fiedel and died about 13 months ago, um, it needed that needed to be found out and discovered a lot sooner uh, by the Reds organization. But uh, we're not we're not here to talk about the past. We're here to talk about um, the future, and the future involves uh, what I hope now is hoisting either a gigantic crystal ball that looks like a virus or a spinner belt. And uh, one thing, too, before I move on, but on that Twitter thread, someone said, I bet Kellen Rowe was one of the people that had been asked to trade it. Um, and another person chimed in and said that he saw Brad Friedel at a target uh, and questioned Kellen Rowe's commitment. And Kellen Rowe, who has been very active on Twitter, uh, jumped in and said that what, I was one of those people. Um, I was very tired after a, uh, <laughs> a, a training session in the heat. Uh, and he seemed to kind of fight, push back on that uh, Friedel uh, comment. So Kellen Rowe and Brad Friedel are not on each other's Christmas card lists. Um, that that, that kind of tension continues. But uh, And another person, too, that I, I wanted to point out, and Julian, I think this is your reporting, uh, but Gabriel Somi was apparently, you know, got a trade offer from Cincinnati, uh, and the Revs, for some reason, did not do that. And so I wonder if Mike Burns kind of overruled that trade, and that, that was another thing that um, might have been squashed by the front office that Brad Friedel kind of wanted to move on from. So... Again, complete speculation on my end. I have no idea if that's true, but um, I was kind of thinking of names of who might be players that Brad Friel wanted to get rid of that were squashed. Um, and th the first thing I thought of was your, your story there, Julian, about Gabriel Somi. So um, interesting to see if there's any link on that. So, Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, the, the only thing I was going to say before you wrap up, you know, it, Brad would say even at the podium, you know, numerous times, like, the way that the old regime did things wasn't good. We've had problems with player commitment and the way players set goals and this and that. Um, you know, he, he never named players by name, but um, this was kind of a common theme with him at the podium. So, you know, I do think this, this is a gripe that, that Brad did have, and I think it was a frustration of the front office, or his frustration with the front office, and 
Mike Burns, and I'm sure Brad Friedel wasn't the only one. But, I mean, the moral of the story here is that Brad Friedel still, though he had a bad partner in Mike Burns, was not cut out to be a tactical coach of the New England Revolution. Yeah, and, and that was kind of the criticism coming in that he had not had a managerial job before this. We, we can sit here all day and say who's more to blame, but uh, I think Brad Friedel and Mike Burns both kind of had some um, deficiencies. Uh, and, and I think even though the Brad Friedel tenure lasted, I mean, geez, what, 18 months, um, I, I would not be surprised if we hear more and more little tidbits come out over time because certain Revs players have been vocal, um, like Kellen Rowe, about uh, how they did not like playing for Brad Friedel and Brad Friedel doing a lot of interviews and is still talking about the revolution. So I, I don't think he will uh, stop talking about the revolution uh, and how he got a, a raw deal until he gets another managerial job. So even though it lasted 18 months, I, I would not be surprised if we hear tidbits like this uh, for years to come. So that wraps us up. Uh, we'll do final thoughts and you guys can pass out your Twitter handles. Um, Jake, I'll start with you. Any, anything you want to wrap up with? No, just, you know, I, I, I think that this, this would be a very good time for, soccer to to really address um substitutions and really look you know more concussion protocols and things like that because you you have all this focus on medical attention right now in the short term um for player safety and and staff safety and everything else like that i really hope that that's something that that continues um i hope that you get um an extended bench list you know i hope that you're dressing something like 20 23 guys and you're able to sub on you know, seven or eight players, um, you know, there's, I, you know, I don't know if this is a controversial opinion or not, but as much as we love the Mike McGee shutout in goal a couple of years ago, there's no need for outfield players to be playing in goal. It's, it's 2020. Um, you, you should be able to dress three goalkeepers. And if one guy goes down, you just put in the other one. It doesn't even count against your subs. Um, you know, that doesn't make the game better. It doesn't, it doesn't help develop goalkeepers and get them minutes. Um, you know, this, it, I think now is a very good time to start addressing those shortcomings um, because it wasn't it was only a handful of decades ago. We didn't even have substitutions at the World Cup. Um, so the fact that we're, we're only we're still on this whole, oh, you can only change out three players out of your 11 um, when every other sport in the world has almost unlimited substitutions. Um, you know, I think it's time for, for soccer to sort of join uh, the 21st century again as we uh, constantly, I think, this sport. Um, internationally, FIFA uh, is behind on uh, you know implementing those things, and when they do implement them, they usually do it badly. Um, so hopefully, uh, that's something that comes out of of uh, you know this this virus and pandemic and things like that is a lot new, a lot of more more medical protocols, more substitutions, um, things of that nature. Because uh, I think in the long run, the, the game has changed. Youth development's a lot bigger. Um, there's no reason to have a 40 man roster and only 14 guys play um, first division soccer every week. So. And Jake, where can people follow you on Twitter? You can find me at jkennedys43. We might have more ramblings on this substitution thing later on uh, tomorrow, maybe Monday. Um, and you can follow us at the Bent Musket. We're hoping uh, that now that the soccer is back, uh, you're going to see a lot more uh, from us. We've been a little bit dormant. We've been a little bit busy. Um, but hopefully we're, we're going to be slightly back and uh, probably not better than ever because it implies that at one point we were good. Well, I mean, if you were never good, then you should be better than ever, right? Yes and no. Yes. No. I can't remember. And keep an eye out for that article about what the trophy will look like. Julian, uh, where can people follow you on Twitter? And uh, please give us your final thoughts if there's anything that we did not cover today. Yeah, uh, this might be for a different show. Um, and something may have happened on this. I'm not totally sure, but I don't think it has. A new format for 
World Cup qualification. Um, mm-hmm. There are some rumblings that uh, CONCACAF is changing that um, very convoluted and very unfair um, existing qualification structure for Qatar. Um, but if they don't change it, then Canada is out of the hexagonal. Um, so going to have to keep an eye out on that. And my Twitter handle is just my name, at Julian Cardillo. Yeah, and as a uh, half-Canadian, I, I certainly got to say I'm not for screwing over Canada. It's really a shame that they've uh, absolutely destroyed the hex. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap, and please like our Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We always appreciate uh, those reviews. Also, I do want to point out that uh, if you have not already, I encourage you to go back and listen to our recent interviews from May. We did five interviews over the month of May um, while there was a pandemic uh, with some really, really great interviews about some guys like Ted Kronopoulos, Brian Dunseth, uh, Shalry Joseph joined the show, Henry Kessler. Um, we did notice our numbers dipped down a little bit, which makes a lot of sense because people are no longer commuting or they at least temporarily were not computing, uh, commuting. Um, but, you know, none of those are necessarily to say current events uh, there's still a lot of good stories so if you're looking for a podcast i recommend to go back um, and if you don't have time to listen to all five i strongly recommend you go back and listen to the jay heaps podcast uh, he gave a lot of great details about his time with the revolution that i think a lot of revs fans would find interesting but uh, we are hoping to be back next week uh, though i cannot uh, make any promises on that yet so don't hold me to it but uh, either way we'll be back to talk more soccer soon as news breaks until then thank you everyone for listening and go revs <laughs>